is what this is the part documentary part competition podcast that hopefully you know and love and if you don't welcome for the first time uh, it's episode 47 and our last live episode of the year. My name is Ellie Main and I am the host every week. And with me, as always, is the amazing, the incredible, the most beautiful person in the whole wide world, Chelsea Harfouche. How are you doing, Chelsea? Oh, don't start with me. Okay, it's an emotional one. <laughs> it is. I mean, look, I don't know about you. Every year, every year, I try to start earlier on Christmas stuff. I'm like, I'm going to start earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get all my stuff. Yeah. Be so good about it. It's I'm gonna all going to be done. I'm going to channel some boomer energy. <laughs> yeah. It's all going to be done by like the second week of December. And I'm going to kick back and put oh, my yeah. feet up and play yep. Cyberpunk 2077. And then it's like, oh, joke's on you. You have done 20. It, it was more like I did... 25% of it in November. And then I was like, God, I'm so ahead. And then I'm oh doing my God, I'm amazing. <laughs> and then it's like, now it's like essentially the week before Christmas. And now I'm like, I'm going to lose my shit. It is the week before Christmas. Shut um, up. We're recording this from 5,000 miles apart because yeah, I, I did. That's the other thing. Yeah. I did my quarantine and then I went on my, my long, lovely journey and I'm now quarantining on the other side at my parents' house. Um, did I tell you what happened to me on my journey? No. So they lost my bag. Uh-oh. Because of Christmas and everything being super, super expensive, I had to take quite a brutal flight. So I had to go from Austin to New York, New York to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to London. Oh, that's rough. It was really rough. And all the while, fully fully masked in gloves the whole nine yards. She only kissed one flight attendant. I only kissed one, one, once, once, one time. Not even one time. So I go up to the desk and I'm like, oh, a bag's not here. And the very sweet KLM Dutch lady goes, well, it could be in New York or it could be in Amsterdam. And you know, the interesting thing is that we're in neither of them. <laughs> we're in neither right of now. those places because we are in London. So yeah. um, I just got it today. I arrived on Friday and my bag arrived today. So I've been wearing my mom's clothes and borrowing her pants and stuff. It's been a and journey. when you say pants, just to be super clear for the folks at home. I mean underwear, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. In other news, I have discovered a lesser-known Christmas classic. Did you know that Hall & Oates had a, have a Christmas song? I did not. What is it called? So my dad has made a Christmas playlist that has none of the ones that you hear every year on it because he decided that enough is enough. <laughs> That's a real dad energy. How's it go? Break us off a little piece. Let's try this one. Is it this? Well, I'll tell you about a Christmas song that I learned about recently. Go on. Which is apparently like a like a standard in the UK. But I, when I heard it, I was like, I've heard this before. But I definitely right. never connected that it was a Christmas song. Uh-huh. Uh, and I couldn't have told you like anything about it. But it's like a guy and a girl singing to each other. And it's like real like dirty. And it's <gasps> the like, Pogues. Oh, that would be the yeah. Pogues and Kirstie McCall fairy tale of New York. Fairy tale of New York. Oh, Even though it's like a British so song. Good. Oh, yeah. yes. Like, ah, Merry Christmas. I hate you. And I'm like, what an energy. Very it's amazing. It's yeah, so good. I mean, that is the equivalent energy to like watching the World Cup in a pub. If that so, if a fairy tale of New York comes on in a pub during Christmas without COVID happening, obviously, yeah. then it's like everyone in the pub is best friends and has known each other forever. And everyone sings it together and just like goes crazy. We love the fairy tale of new york often it is voted the best christmas song of all time well so did you see that there was a minor controversy because this is how i found out about it go uh, on where i believe bbc radio is like not gonna play it anymore and people got really Um, mad yeah because it does have some bad words in it yeah bbc radio one will not play it and so then apparently john bon jovi recently created a cover of it and uh People hate it so bad. People really, really don't like it. Oh, his new version? Yeah, no, the new, like the 2020 Bon Jovi version. I mean, Holland Notes, I think, is the energy that I need to bring into my Christmas because right now I'm I'm very much in like the Pogues space. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but that's uh, also a really good space to be because that is such a good song. Yeah. Well, tell me what you think about this Bon Jovi version. Oh, I'm upset already. Okay, let's go. Let the record show like that Christmas I'm shoes. Ross. It does sound like Christmas shoes. No, because you need to like, basically, the Pogues, they're singing it. Kirsty McCall, she's, she's like lounging on a piano and she's singing it. And they're like drunk as fuck. And you can barely understand what this very Irish man is singing. And right. then it's a, the song is them like going to and fro about how much they hate each other. <laughs> yeah, no, very British. But this is Bon Jovi was like, what if it had like the energy of Christmas shoes? And it was like, guy, I just want to get the kids some shoes. And they were like, how dare you? Yeah, no, they're really mad. <laughs> I'm so excited to share my fucking thing with you. Right? I'm realizing now. I think that maybe the sentence "I'm so excited to share my fucking thing with you" is probably like not great. I'm excited about it. <laughs> I mean, it, it goes with the shirt that you're wearing. It does. I didn't know if I was allowed to talk about the shirt. I thought the shirt was You secret. can talk about the shirt. I can talk about the shirt. Okay. You can talk about it. Here's the reason I say that. Okay. And I'm like, how do I do this without like revealing too much information? So last night I was in that really fun space where I was like, do I, do I want to keep drinking coffee or do I want to switch to alcohol? Mm-hmm. And then I had idea. And the idea was that there was this coffee shop that was near where we used to film stuff for Rooster Teeth that yeah. does coffee cocktails. The barista just seemed to be so drunk because he was like, hey, okay, if you guys are going to get a cocktail to go, you have to order food. And I was like, okay, please give me one cookie and this coffee cocktail. And then my roommate Celia was like, give me this coffee cocktail and this cookie. He <laughs> gave us no cookies. And then he just put the straw in Celia's drink, which is like also illegal in Texas if you're taking it to go because it technically makes it an open container. And okay. we were like, uh, Okay. All right. And so, but anyway, we went to Halcyon and I was wearing the shirt that I'm still wearing and it's all going to become clear in a second. And I started to get really freaked out because I hadn't thought about it. Then I was like, oh yeah, Halcyon, very close to Rooster Teeth. I do believe that everybody at Rooster Teeth is working from home now, but it was always a place where there were tons of people from Rooster Teeth that like hung out. And, And then I was like, what if I see someone that I haven't seen in like eight months and I'm wearing a shirt with a giant yellow cat with a smiley face on it that underneath just says gay Ellie. And the re- <laughs> like, how am I going to explain this to like my former co-workers and Ellie's former co-workers? I'm like, hey, hey, long time no see. So great to see you. Oh, you got a perm? That's great. It looks so good, Chelsea. You look so good. Oh, cool shirt. And I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. so big. It's from a Jackbox joke from like four in the morning because this is how we interact with each other now is like drinking a Jackbox. I bought a 2XL shirt that says Gay Alley on it. And then I forgot that I did that. And then it showed up at my house like five I forgot later. that you did that. I, I, when you sent me a picture of you wearing that, I was like, what? <laughs> to have a fact bang for us oh my god a fact bang in a way cool. i have a fact bang is this one of those fact bangs that's adjacent to your life and real experience no kind of it's actually adjacent to our life and experience so don't Aww. you feel silly i do i'm gonna call it a fan anecdote i love that so what happened was okay do you know the movie boondock saints yes you know that it exists yeah so Connor and I got into a conversation about whether that movie was good because neither of us have seen it since we were <laughs> in high school. And we were like, seems like a hard real- conversation to have then. Yeah. Well, so yeah, we were both like, hey, I think there's a really high probability that this movie does not hold up. Uh-huh. Uh, then we found out that they made, that the people who were best friends with the guy that made Boondock Saints made a documentary, like an award-winning documentary about the making of Boondock Saints called Overnight. So we were like, hey, it's COVID. Let's do a double feature where we watch the making of documentary Overnight and then the Boondock Saints and see if it still holds up. Okay. This is, this is what Overnight is about. I almost made this my topic and I decided it wasn't quite enough to be like a what topic. Uh-huh. That's why it makes it such a good fan anecdote. So the short version, and this is why I think you should watch it. I think you would be obsessed. 
Okay. The Boondock Saints was written by this man named Troy Duffy when he was in his late 20s working as a bartender in Hollywood trying to make ends meet for his band that he was in with his brother called Amazing. The Brood. And so he writes this screenplay. It's borderline incoherent. And if you ever watch The Boondock Saints, you'll see that it's borderline incoherent. I think what works about The Boondock Saints and how I can see that people really loved the script when it was just a script and it wasn't a movie is that I think that Troy Duffy had so little understanding of like narrative convention that he actually did kind of like stumble backwards into some like really interesting subversions of like, because it's basically, it's like a Reservoir Dogs Tarantino like hipster crime type movie, right? Uh-huh. And like one of the cool things, like I think, for example, is that the movie starts, you see this crime happen, then you meet this like FBI agent who's really smart and like on the ball. And you're like, okay, I know where this is going. This is going to be a manhunt because we've got these criminals and we've got this FBI agent and they're going to be like, you know, cat and mouse this whole time. And sure enough, like the FBI agent is like, oh yeah, like you'll never see these guys again. They're crazy. Uh, And then they just show up at like the police station and they all become best friends, which (laughs) in a way feels like a weird, like fan fiction thing. Right. Of just like, wouldn't it be fucking sick? Wouldn't it be fucking sick if they just like fucking showed up and everyone was like, they're so cool. Whoa. But in 1995, when people were reading this script, so he hands his script because he's this bartender to an assistant who works at Miramax, who then hands it to their boss, who hands it to their boss, who hands it to Harvey Weinstein. And Harvey Weinstein is like, I know, is like, I love this. This is the greatest thing ever. There's a huge bidding war. So this guy goes from, this is why it's called Overnight. This guy goes from like bartender to the like, indie film darling overnight there's a huge like multi-million dollar bidding war between all the studios oh my gosh for for the script for boondock saints harvey weinstein ends up getting it because he says troy duffy bartender i want you to direct this movie too so you get to direct your like script as a first-time director and we'll give you we'll give you uh 15 million to make it and i'll buy you this bar that you work at and so Troy Duffy said yes. So the entire documentary is about how this guy, though, is the most insufferable asshole. So basically, he gets all his friends together, including the guys in the band. And he's like, sure. no one in the world has ever done what we're doing right now. And it was like, what, like make a movie? <laughs> And he's so rude and so mean to everybody at Miramax and, and like all of his agents. Like half the movie is him screaming at somebody on a phone about like, why oh isn't Patrick God. Swayze in my movie? That they drop him and they <gasps> drop like they drop the movie. They drop him as an agent. He was going to get a record deal for his like band and they drop the record deal. And then he spends two more years trying to get the movie made. And he finally gets it made for like less than half the budget by an independent financier who puts the movie in theaters for a week. You had it and you messed up so bad. That's what I'm saying. That's the wildest thing about this movie. And that's why I think you should watch it. I think you'd really enjoy it is even though it's like not necessarily a good, it's not a well-made documentary, but they just happen, they stumble on having this footage. And it's like, you've never seen somebody tank their own dreams so fast. And just by being an asshole and like being a dick. And I know you and I know people who are like this, he has that thing of like somebody who probably is insecure and like, is afraid that they don't know what they're doing. So they make up for it by just being so awful and being like, Hey, look, nobody else out here is doing this. You want to know why? Cause maybe I've got something figured out. I'm the one that brought that had my talent and I got us here. And the only reason that you're here is because I brought you up with me and Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to make the great greatest movie anybody has ever seen and it, and, and it wasn't luck and it wasn't, it wasn't a fluke luck. and it wasn't just a coincidence and something wonderful that happened to me is because i did it i earned it yes that's 100 and he says it over and over and over again and he screams it to everybody and even as every single thing that he got starts to fade away and everybody that is around him that is more experienced like his agents and stuff that are like trying to calm him down and they're like Troy like this is really great like you just need to listen to what they're saying like it's going to be really good he's like no fuck you I know what's good and I want x y and z despite Mm. having never done it before and he lost it all it is wildly familiar yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's my fan anecdote. You should definitely watch it overnight. You can watch it free on Tubi. Tubi, the streaming service nobody understands. <laughs> I 
Kelly, tell me about your topic. Okay. <laughs> the title of my topic is The Great, Great Nuisance. The Great, Great Nuisance? Mm-hmm. Nuisance is capitalized. It is like a cousin topic to your topic last week. I don't think we've ever had a cousin topic. I'm going to be totally real with you. Yeah. I think that's new. I think that's unprecedented stuff. I don't know what stuff. a cousin topic is. I think in my mind, it's like adjacent, but more related than adjacent. Okay. So it's less than a sister topic. Yeah. And it's not like a baby topic. No. It is a, it is a cousin topic. It's a cousin so, topic. So is it, is it an animal at war? Yes. Oh my God. Do you want to hear something really fun? Go on. Without like 100% giving anything away, my topic is also an animal at war. What? Wait, what if we'd done this? Well, actually, no. If we had done the same one, then you would have known from the title. No, uh, I don't. I do not believe we are doing the same one. I just think it's really fun that we have become an animal at war podcast. We have. Uh, leading <laughs> up to Christmas, we've decided that we all need our hearts warmed. And the yeah. only thing that can do that uh, is animals being sweet. Well, uh, that is where we disconnect because mine is very much not a heartwarming <laughs> animal at war story. Oh. <laughs> okay. Ooh, ooh. Well, okay, hang so on. What's the title of yours? Mine is na 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 ba bum Batman ba bum ba bum ba bum. Is it about a bat? Is it about a bat called ba bum? I wish there was a bat called Babam. It is about, there are bats involved. So thank you for picking up on that part. Bat! It's bats! Have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? Uh, I've started watching it. Like, I'm uh, obsessed. I haven't seen the movie. I'm obsessed with Matt Berry, and when he turns into a bat, he goes, Bat! <laughs> <laughs> okay, great, great nuisance. I'm very stressed. A great, great nuisance. Is the great, great nuisance. about Smokey the Bear? No. That'd be fun. Because no, no, forest no. fires, big nuisance. And that would be a sort of bear cousin. That would be a bear cousin. A nuisance. Yeah, but is uh, he at war? I mean, I guess he's at war against fire. He's a, he does war with that fire. <laughs> he's at war against forest fires. <gasps> would you watch like a gritty reboot that was Smokey the Bear? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. Yes, no further comment necessary. No further comment or questions. <laughs> Tell me when and where it's on. <laughs> This is this is a real wild thing that I heard about, and I I'll be honest, like the I read a reference to it. This is one of those things where like I read a reference to it and I thought it was a joke. Sure. And I couldn't figure out what the joke was. You know, when you see like a somebody joke about something on Twitter and then you have to go try to look it up to be like, I want to be in on the joke. Like, what are you referencing? Yeah. And so I looked this up to try to be in on the joke and I found out that it was very real. Okay. And it's insane. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you, you're familiar with the atom bomb, right? Like the, the atom bomb, bomb yep. that eventually the U.S. dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yes. And yes. Yeah. And killed, I believe, millions of people. Many, uh, many, many people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and ended, effectively ended the war in the Pacific theater. Yeah. Did you know that instead of dropping an atomic bomb, there is another reality that exists? Because one thing I have been learning from TikTok is that you can go to any reality you want, but that's another day. There's another reality that exists where instead of doing that, the U.S. sent what they called bat bombs, which was a big bomb full of bats. Bat bomb! <laughs> bat bomb full of Mexican free bats that had little bombs strapped to their little bat bodies. What? Okay, so this is what it was. It's insane. Okay, so the plan was you fly over a Japanese village and you drop yep. this bomb in the night. And it looks like a big bomb. Like I'm holding my arms out. So like a big, <laughs> a big like, old, one of these, <laughs> like a big old like torpedo bomb. Right. Yeah. Inside the bomb is a thousand bats on each bat. Is this an is not that important, but it amuses me. 
exactly a thousand? 1,040. I'm so sorry. Okay, thank you. 1,040. I'm so sorry. Inside the, inside the bomb is 1,040 bats. On each bat, now it starts to feel like a, like a third grade like test question. On <laughs> How each many bat bombs is are a there? tiny parachute <laughs> because they're hibernating because you keep them cold inside the bomb. What? And a tiny parachute. And then to strap to the front of each bat is a little incendiary bomb on a timer, a tiny bomb. <laughs> and the idea was that you would drop this bomb, it would open, all of the bats would fall out, the parachutes would deploy, the bats would wake up, and then they would go roost in all the buildings around the village. So they would be like perfectly spread out. Right. And then the bombs that were on a timer would go off and it would just blow up the whole town. I need to take a few steps backwards. <laughs> okay, go ahead. And the place that I really need to start is the alternate reality. What yes. the hell do you mean? Okay, so we can't get too deep into this because we'll never have enough time. But I started seeing all these TikTok videos called reality shifting. And it's basically the idea that because there are infinite realities, that sure. means... Which like, it just, you know, infinite realities is like a thing that's generally accepted in by like quantum physics type people. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're it's just a like, big quantum physics thingy. You'd be in a space where you have their infinite realities. If you, in, okay, there, we're starting if, off that. Yeah. So if you accept that there are infinite realities, meaning there is a reality for every possible outcome. Oh, this right. is another par- important part. The way that you also think about this is that you yourself live in infinite realities at all times. So like, for example, when I woke up this morning and I was like, should I put my gay Ellie shirt back on for the third day in a row? Uh, Or should I put a different shirt on? And then I chose to put my gay Ellie shirt back on. Yeah. I then also created, I created the reality where I'm wearing my gay Ellie shirt, but there also exists a reality for every single other shirt that I own or yeah. all of Connor's shirts or a world where I know wear no shirt. Like I've created that by making a choice. So every right. time you make a choice in your entire life or a choice is made around you, it creates a new reality for all the other choices you didn't make. Yeah. So once you accept that and once you accept that you are already kind of in control of it by making choices, therefore making realities, it necessarily means that there is, for example, a reality somewhere where you, Ellie, go to Hogwarts and are in Ravenclaw and are like fucking Dean Thomas. I'm not smart enough for Ravenclaw, but... But in this reality, you are. That's what I'm saying. And there's also a reality oh. where you're in Gryffindor. And there's also a reality where you're in Slytherin. Yay! Okay. infinite realities. Yeah. So, no, so now armed with that knowledge, TikTok teens claim if you work hard at it and if you do these certain rituals and you script everything out, that you can shift realities and go hang out in whatever reality you choose and do whatever you want and spend like months there and then come back and have it only been like a couple hours in our time. Like Nania? Yes. And so like you'll see videos of like TikTok teens like staring at the screen and then the text is like that feel when you just spent six months um, hanging out with Stefan and Damon from the Vampire Diaries and you became a vampire and then you came back and it's only been 30 minutes, but you feel completely different. And I'm like, holy shit. That's a lot to unpack. So this connects back to the bat bomb because the original, first of all, it just sounds like it's an idea that broke in from another reality, but also it almost was a reality because this was something that they started in 1942. And also the reason that it happened is insane, which is basically there was a dental surgeon from Pennsylvania named Little Adams. Okay. And he was a really good friend of Eleanor Roosevelt, who's the first lady at the time. Right. And one day for like vacation, little Adams, the dental surgeon, went to Carlsbad Caverns National Park, which is actually very close to us and I've been to. It's super cool. It's in New Mexico. Oh, cool. And he saw all these bats and he, for reasons I don't know why. He got himself to thinking. Yeah. And he got himself to thinking while he was on vacation in New Mexico in his <laughs> cave. And I, I will say it's something that's important is this was one month after Pearl Harbor. So I guess it is okay. safe to say that like generally like the war and the danger and everything was on everybody's mind. Things are spooky. So he, you know how like when you go on vacation and you go on like a tour and they teach you all these fun facts that you think you're never going to think about again. Yeah. 
he got to hear all these cool things about bats, like how strong they are based like relative to their size that like, because of like the unique design of like their wings and like the skin, as opposed to feathers, they're actually like really strong and can carry things further. He also knew that they all roosted before dawn, AKA in the cover of night because they're nocturnal. Yeah, spooky. Then he also remembered, and I mean, this is all like coming after the fact. So it is really difficult for me to conceptualize how all these thoughts came together in little Adam's head. But uh-huh. he remembered that because Tokyo is such an old city, most yeah. of the buildings in Tokyo in that time, not now, but in the 40s were constructed of wood instead of concrete like our cities mm-hmm. were. Yeah. So he was like, you know what? <laughs> If we could just get all these bats over to Tokyo, they would, and also put bombs on them, we could burn down all of Tokyo in one night. I don't know how he got there. I still don't know. I've told you all the pieces that came together. I still don't understand how this man's brain, this dental surgeon in 1942 was like, oh my God, I've got it. But I figured it out, y'all. So again, because of an insane, wild thing, he because he was friends with the first lady, this like random dude, he got to write this like absolutely wild idea to President Roosevelt, who was like, yeah, no, this rules. <laughs> Adams stated in his letter to the president that the bat was the lowest form of animal life. Aww. And that until now, reasons for its creation have remained unexplained. <laughs> the, uh, the implication, and actually not even an implication, because he then went ahead and stated it. This is also a direct <laughs> quote from his from his letter to the president. He in said, the 40s, are you just wandering up to every animal and say, state the reason for your creation? I think so, <laughs> because this is what he said. This is what he said to President Roosevelt. He said, bats were created, quote, by God, to await this hour to play their part in the scheme of free human existence <sighs> and to frustrate any attempt of those who dare desecrate our way of life. They were made for the war. Yeah, like the idea was like that God in his infinite wisdom created bats tens of thousands of years ago to just get stronger, to like get big, <laughs> so that in World War II they could wreak holy vengeance upon the war effort. Yeah, Roosevelt's response to this letter, which might surprise you, was to say, this man is not a nut. It's, it sounds like uh, a perfectly wild idea, but it is worth looking into. Okay. I mean, so, way to have an open mind, sir. So he had a real open mind. Look, he was like, I mean, he's like, look, he's a friend of my wife's. He's not a nut. This man is so sane. And if he says that a uh, bat bomb is the way to go, then by George, let's do it. So he immediately sends this to the U.S. Air Force and tells them, get started. Oh, <laughs> which, wow. Which is really confusing. This is the part that I wish <laughs> I could find more information about, slash I do think that maybe I want to write this as like a limited series for Netflix. Yeah. Maybe the new Queen's Gambit. Bat bomb. So, <laughs> bat- Can you make um, sure that you find actors that have the most discrepancy between their eyes basing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I laughed until I was like physically ill. <laughs> Those two people side by side is chilling. <laughs> Somebody said that when they kiss, if they opened their eyes, they would both see skin. <laughs> oh, oh. This could seriously derail us, so let's get back on okay, let's get back on it. So Roosevelt sends Adams to the U.S. Air Force in a real Armageddon energy. Adams, this, like, civilian, is like, all right, Air Force, let's do this. Bat bomb, 1942, let's, let's fucking go. go! And he assembles his dream team, which includes Air Force officers, a yep. mammologist who specializes in bats named Jack Von Blaker, the actor Tim Holt... Yes. Like a what? What? <laughs> just, a, just the actor Tim Holt, who was like a big cowboy actor who was in like the Treasure of Sierra Madre. Like, We're going to need here. an actor on board. Yeah. Um, Amazing. A former hotel manager and a former gangster. That is uh, the equivalent of my me finding out that my sister has been asked to be on like a Corona task force. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what's real anymore. Bat bomb. <laughs> That bum has done this to me. So they get to work on this and they're yeah. like, okay, we got to figure this out. Here are the big things to figure out. And this is like, this is the montage where they're all writing on like a whiteboard. Yeah. Um, Just drawing right. different bats. Yeah. They're like, we got to figure out what kind of bats. We got to <laughs> figure out what kind of bombs to attach to the bats. And we've yep. got to figure out what temperature we can, we can transport these bats if they're going to fly like theoretically across the ocean right. to reach Tokyo. 
So they tested several species, but they decided the Mexican free-tailed bat, which was, was the, the one that one. he had seen in Carlsbad Caverns, was the best boy for the job. They had to get permission from the National Park Service to harvest just huge numbers of these bats. Because like I said, each bomb was supposed to have a thousand bats in it. Mm-hmm. But luckily, since they had the president on board, that was granted. Good. Then they were trying to figure out what kind of bomb to put on these bats they were thinking white phosphorus but then they original then they went with napalm so these were napalm bats oh no yes and i mean i think it's i I think it's clear now in case it hasn't been become clear the bats were not meant to survive this journey no i was just thinking about that this is quite the kamikaze bat Situation. Yeah, it's a real kamikaze bat situation. So, which is why when they were trying to figure out how best to secure the napalm bombs to the bats, they tried all these different things like little like napalm vests for oh, the bats no. to wear. But everything that they tried interfered with the bat's ability to flap its wings and fly. So they finally were just like, wait, why are we doing all this? Like the bat is going to get blown up. So they just started gluing the bombs to the front of the bat. <laughs> Yeah, they were like, I mean, we can't really draw a line on when this is cruel. Yeah, so yeah. they started gluing napalm to these bats. Oh. Then they started putting the bomb casing together, the big bomb, right? Right, yeah, where they're all going to go. Right, and so it had, <laughs> it just had like trays inside, so it literally looked like an airliner where there was just like bat seats. Little and all the bats were hibernating because it was too cold so they were asleep and then the idea was that yes like there'd be a bomber that would fly over the city it would release the bomb the sides of the bomb were designed to fall away as soon as like it hit like a certain altitude leaving just the trays and then that would like make the parachutes deploy and the bats would um i guess just sort of like float and or they say they disperse until they would wake up and then they would go roost that is a horrible way to wake up Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if you were just like, if you were just chilling, first of all, you're chilling in a cave, which is where you're supposed to be. You're then like, you're chilling mm. in like a lab and you're like, well, this isn't great, but okay. And then, so fine. And then it gets real cold and you get real seepy. And you so seepy. And when you wake up, you have a bomb glued to your chest and you're and like you're free hurtling falling. through the air. Yeah, you're hurtling through uh, Japanese airspace. Aww. So in 1943, they're ready to test it. So they make a mock-up of a Japanese city in Utah that's all built of wood. And they try dropping these bombs. And they find, according to the National Defense Research Committee, they say it was concluded that the X-ray, that was the project name, is an effect weapon. Upon doing further research after the bombs fell, expressed in another way, regular bombs would probably give 167 to 400 fires per bomb, whereas okay. the rat bomb would give 3,600 to 4,700 fires per bomb. Because you're dropping mini napalm Yes, yeah, so several thousand times more effective than a regular bomb. Wow. So then starting in 1945, they are ready to do this. They spent $2 million developing these bat bombs, which is the equivalent of $19 million today, which I get is like only dropping the budget in our like defense budget right now. But it turns out the only reason that they abandoned the bat bomb in the favor of the atomic <laughs> bomb is because the bat bomb wasn't moving fast enough. And they figured out that they could get the atomic bomb ready faster. The research project wasn't moving fast enough. Yes. So in case you're ever feeling a little bit absurd or a little bit like grounded outside of reality, just remember that we used to be in a top secret arms race between nuclear war <laughs> and bats. <laughs> And nuclear war only won (laughs) because it was a faster, cheaper option than bats. But the saddest part is that although obviously I'm not super, as as an animal lover, not super on board with this bat bomb plan. Yeah. The estimated loss of life for Japan would have been significantly lower had they gone with the bat bomb. Because the entire point was just basically to raise the city, which would have... I know all of this is like kind of splitting hairs about something that's really horrible. It it would have destroyed the city, but it would have had not as many people would have died or had like lifelong or generational. Yeah. Yeah. Multi-generational fallout from the atomic bomb that they had with Hiroshima. Super horrific. Yeah. 
So it was, we were so close. We're so close. <laughs> in another box. reality somewhere that happened instead. Can you imagine an alternate reality TV show like Man in the High Castle, but like everything is the same except it was bat bombs instead of atomic bombs? The B-bomb. There's like anarchist punks who wear like bat t-shirts. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Oh. Anyway, that's bat bomb. Incredible. I'm going to start by giving you three points for the title, which we Thank don't you. normally do, but that was excellent. Thank you. I was proud of it. Really, really excellent. I'm going to give you six points for bats. Just <laughs> thank you. I love bats. Bats are just be bats are so cute. They're good. Yeah, and also, also plus another two because bats are incredibly important to the city in which we both live. It's true, Bat City. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you three points for the ability to what do they call it? Like astral travel. Oh, reality shifting. Reality shifting. Please do, because I'm very concerned (laughs) about that. It is interesting. It is interesting. Um, And then minus two for each of the really horrific bombs, which is really not enough, to be honest, to minus. But I feel like, I mean, we we do subtract points for terrible tragedies that aren't our fault. It just feels like a bridge too far, so I'm just going to minus two. I'll take the hit. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Okay, so. so I'm so excited. My story is called The Great Great Nuisance. So I got home, as you know, mm-hmm. and my dad mentioned that he'd listened to last week's episode. And we've Aww. got some very positive responses about the great Wojciech and his amazing story. <laughs> and he said, My dad asked me if I knew the story of nuisance. And okay. I said, I did not. I did not know the story of nuisance. And so then he prompted me to look it up. And I immediately thought to myself, wow, this I, do, I have to tell Chelsea the story. And she made cry. <laughs> so, oh my God, I'm ready. Just nuisance was the only dog ever to be officially enlisted in the Royal Navy. <gasps> Go on. Tell me, say more immediately. Say more immediately. The reason that I called this the great, great nuisance is because he was a great Dane. A big boy. And between 1939 and 1944, he served on the HMS Afrikaner, which was a Royal Navy shore establishment in South Africa, in a place called Simon's Town. Uh-huh. So, wonder who founded it. <laughs> the exact date of Just Nuisance's birth isn't known, but it's usually, in stories told about him, it's usually stated that he was born on the 1st of April 1937 in a place called Rondesbosch, which is a suburb of Cape Town. And he was sold to a guy called Benjamin Cheney, who moved to Simonstown to run something called the United Services Institute. Okay. And he was one of those dogs that just walks around town and does whatever he wants to do. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. And he quickly became popular with the patrons of the Institute, where this guy, uh, Benjamin Cheney, worked. And in particular, the ratings, which in the Navy, a rate, a rating, or a blue jacket is like a junior enlisted member of the Navy. Okay. Is that like a so, private or do you know? I think it's sort of the equivalent of like, uh, yeah, a private or like uh, the lowest rank you can be. Mm-hmm. They would feed him snacks and take him for walks. And so he began to follow follow them back to the naval base and the dockyards. And he would lie on the gangplank of the ships, which is how he got the moniker nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So they would, call, they would call him a nuisance. So even for a Great Dane, he was huge. He was about two meters tall when he stood on his hind legs, which is six and a half feet. <gasps> A big boy. A very big boy. There's some amazing pictures of him mm. with his like hands on um, officers' shoulders and they're like nose to nose. <gasps> so that's why, because he was like so big, he, he couldn't get around him if he was lying on a gangplank. So that's how he became known as Nuisance. He's just a good boy. <laughs> just a good, good boy. He was allowed to roam freely, as I said, and he would follow the sa- sailors. He would start to take day trips on the train. he would go as far as cape town which is 22 miles away and though like this the navy guys attempted to conceal him and hide him the conductors would 
take him off the train as soon as they found him. But he didn't mind. He would just sit and wait for the next train. <laughs> or, or he'd walk to another station where he'd then board the train that came along and catch up. <laughs> he was just a good, smart boy. I must say, that's, I don't even know that I would be smart enough to figure out train schedules like that. So yeah. Impressive. Some travelers would try and pay his fare, and sometimes, like the the ticket guys would take that, but a lot of the times they didn't. And officials of the state-owned railway company at the time, the South African Railways and Harbors Company, they warned Benjamin Cheney that nuisance would have to be put down if unless he was like unless he stopped him going on the train. And so Benjamin Cheney told the sailors, and then lots of locals and sailors wrote to the Navy pleading for something to be done. And someone offered to buy him a season ticket to the train. But the Naval Command instead decided to enlist him by the book because as a member of the armed forces, he'd be entitled to free rail travel. (laughs) (laughs) So him not having a train fare wouldn't be a problem. And so for the next few years, he was a Royal Navy dog and he was a massive morale booster for the troops that would come and go serving in World War II. So he was officially enlisted on the 25th of August, 1939. And you have to have a surname and a first name to be enlisted. So obviously his surname was entered as nuisance. And rather than just leave the forename blank, that's where that's where his first name just came from. So he became just nuisance. Just nuisance. His trade was listed... It's so good. His trade was listed as bone crusher. (laughs) And his religious affiliation was scrounger. Okay. Although they later changed that. They later changed that to Canine Divinity League. Okay. And then, so to to not just free train travel, to then allow him to receive rations because of his long-standing unofficial service, he was promoted from an ordinary seaman to an able seaman. So he became just nuisance, the able seaman. He never actually went out to sea, but like stayed ashore and continued to accompany sailors on train journeys and escorted them back to base when the pubs closed. The Navy decided that it would be fun to let him appear at promotional events, including his own wedding to another great dame called Adinda. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so then Adinda dog weddings for this long. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> then Adinda produced five pups as a result. Okay. Two of which named Victor and Wilhelmina were auctioned off in Cape Town to raise money for the war effort. But it turns out he <laughs> he had a pretty poor record as a sailor. Other than his offences of travelling on the trains without his free pass on him, he was absent, <laughs> often absent without leave. He lost his collar a number of times and would refuse to leave the pub at closing time. So... It was a bad it was a bad sailor. And his record also showed that he was sentenced to having all bones removed for seven days for sleeping in an improper place. <laughs> oh, how improper must it have been? Um it was a it was the bed of one of the petty officers he was found sleeping on. It's also a really good picture of that. I would love to see He also fought with the mascots of ships that put in at Simonstown and unfortunately he he did murder a couple of them, so <laughs> Pretty bad boy. So, unfortunately, bless his little heart, Just Nuisance had to be discharged from the Navy for health reasons on the 1st of January 1944. Um, He'd been hit by a car. And... As a result of that, he developed a thrombosis and was sort of, as a in a very, very big, big dog, it was really bad. He was slowly being paralyzed from that. So the naval surgeon decided that the kindest thing to do would be, would be to put him down on the 1st of April, 1944. But because he'd been so incredible to all the soldiers in the war effort and had made such an impact on the people, he was laid to rest with full military honors including a gun salute and the playing of the last post at his funeral. And there's a plain granite gravestone that marks his grave uh, at Clavar Camp, which is like right behind Simonstown. And there's a huge statue in Jubilee Square and a display of Nuisance's papers and belongings in the, in the Simonstown Museum, ensuring that this beautiful boy who stole so many hearts was never forgotten. Oh, that's yeah. And you can, there's a that book. Have to be the guy that hit that dog with a car. I know. Oh, what an asshole. <laughs> there's a book called The Life Story of an Able Seaman who, led, who Leads a Dog's Life, Just Nuisance. 
which is like available in the uh, museum as well. And as good as a little picture of him with his hat on. I did see, I did look up and see the picture of him with a hat on and it was incredibly strong. So as soon as he was given him as a pup, Benjamin Cheney knew that Nuisance was not just a conventional dog. And there's an amazing quote. He says, the first night Nuisance was in my home, I showed him around the place, including the kitchen. Standing next to the refrigerator, I pressed the handle down and told Nuisance that if he could do likewise, he could help himself to two pounds of mutton inside. The following morning, I missed the mutton. That incident showed me that I was the master of no ordinary dog. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, oh, tight. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, I'll have that. Oh, okay, great. (laughs) Great, great, great. Very good. <laughs> this is an excerpt from one of their pleas to saying that if he continued to take the train, they would put him down. This is one of the letters said, Nuisance, the pal and mascot of thousands of soldiers, would not be allowed to live in the home of a man who could buy his body while his heart would remain with the men of the seven seas. it. <gasps> I know. Stop it. So the official listing in his book was, did sleep in an improper place, namely in a bed of the petty officer's dormitory at the sailors and soldiers' home. Punishment awarded, deprived of bones for seven days. (laughs) Here's another one. He did commit an act of the prejudice of common sense and good humour in that he did travel on the South African railways without a ticket. Punishment awarded, confined to the banks of Froggy Pond, Lilypool, and all lampposts removed. Don't know what that means. (laughs) I'm going to be real. Not sure what that means. Oh, and there's a picture of everyone at Nuisance's funeral. Sedane states, they stopped work, lumps rose in their throats, and they swallowed hard. The eyes of many were moist. (gasps) So sweet. So the last little piece of information here about Nuisance is that, while many of the stories recounted by Stein, who I think is one of the uh, Navy men, will certainly raise a few eyebrows. What is clear is that Just Nuisance was an integral part of the contingent of the Royal Navy based in Simon's Tower and the local community as a whole. The reaction to his untimely death and how fondly he still remembered. A statue of Nuisance was erected in Simon's Town in 1985, so a long time after, and since 2000 there has been an annual parade of Great Danes from which a look like is chosen, demonstrating the lasting impact he made to Simon's town. Ultimately, it says a great deal about nuisance that he remains the only dog ever enlisted into the Royal Navy. Stein explained it. Several generous people have offered their dogs to the Navy to replace nuisance. All of these offers have been turned down because the Navy feels that no animal, irrespective of how intelligent or lovable he might be, will ever replace dear old nuisance, a dog, but a sailor at heart. (sighs) So what you're saying is nuisance is Simon's Town's uh, little Sebastian? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and in fact, the entire Royal Navy's little Sebastian. Yeah, so they're like, um, like American army guys are like, I don't get it. Like, what the dog do? And they're like, he did being a dog and he did it better yeah. than anybody. He did it better than anybody. And if you don't get it, you just don't get it. You don't fucking get it. That's so good. How sweet is that? That's so sweet. It was a short story, but a great one. I'm going to give you five points for sweet. Thank you. And I'm going to give you another three points for the British officers calling him a bone crusher. (laughs) Yes. And being like, what's his name? Nuisance. It's like, okay, but like, what's his first name? No, it's just nuisance. Just nuisance. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Very Monty Python-esque joke. Just Mm -hmm. nuisance. Got it. And then I'm going to give you... Another two points for bringing a cousin topic, our first ever cousin topic on the show. First ever cousin topic. First ever complimentary tip of the cap. I'm not even going to take anything away. I loved it. Oh, so I love that at the same time in history, we've got, we've got, we'll take the bear. We've got Just Nuisance the dog and we've got batshit Americans training bats to carry neighbors. bats! We're going to do it! <laughs> One of these stories is not like the others. <laughs> well, the worst part was when I, in between topics, when I went to the bathroom, I passed Connor and I was like feeling all fun because we'd had so much fun. I was like, hey, Connor, did you know that they uh, almost were going to use bats instead of atomic bombs uh, to defeat Japan in World War II? And he goes, oh, yeah, I knew that. And I was like, what? And I was like, how the fuck did you know that? And he goes, oh, because a lot of times it gets tied to, like, conspiracy theories about whether or not, like, Hiroshima oh, no. and Nagasaki happened. And I'm like, oh, what? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't like that one bit. I don't like that one bit either. My mum received a message through Facebook today saying uh, that the person in question, who is a member of my family, quote unquote, doesn't believe the corona narrative. Oh, good. Okay. It's a narrative. 
It's a narrative now. Yeah. And my mom sent this amazing message back that was like, well, yeah, I've read some batshit things on Facebook, but what do you believe? (laughs) Yeah, so powerful. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. I'm sorry that my story was so short. I I was longer in my mind. I think it was the just right length. I think this is the title episode. (laughs) Title episode. While people are getting ready for the holidays. (laughs) And then we're going to bring you some, like, some classic, some favorite topics from the year. Yeah, tell the people what we're going to do. So we have some really exciting things planned for 2021. Um, The big thing (laughs) is, like, you know, we know we're going into the holidays. So we wanted to bring it back to some, like, favorite what topics from the year, which means that you should tweet at us or send it to us on Instagram what your favorite topic was. Um, And then the second thing that we're going to do is that we're going to have a new format starting in 2021. I mean, I say new format. If you're somebody who listens to the podcast primarily, which I don't know why I'm saying it that way, because that is the way that you would listen to a podcast. <laughs> if the, let me rephrase that. If the only way you want to interact with this is as a podcast, nothing about that is going to change. Like there's still right. going to be a podcast every Wednesday. There's still going to be fun, crazy topics that you've never heard of. There will be guests, which is super fun. Yay. That will come and like judge for us. However, what we're going to do is we've had this Patreon and we originally had a lot of like wild ideas for the Patreon and it was connected to streaming and then COVID happened and then we each moved in with our respective partners and a lot of those things aren't happening anymore, but we want to be fair to our patrons. So if you are a patron of ours, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much. We're sorry. Third of all, you're going to get a message from us that has more information about this specifically, but- The cool thing is, is that if you become a patron of ours starting in 2021, you will basically get access to a live show, a live recording yeah. of the of the podcast moving forward on a weekly basis. So there's going to be more details about that. We want to share it with the patrons first, then we'll make a big announcement across social. But I think it's going to be really, really fun. And I'm really excited to do a lot of this stuff live with you guys. It's super fun. And we're looking at Sunday night to be um, when we record the podcast live for you guys to listen to, if you so choose to be a patron. And if you wanted to do that, you just have to head to patreon.com forward slash Wattpod and everything will be there for you starting in the new year. Thank you guys so much for bearing with us. And we hope you stick with us because it's just the beginning for our little podcast. And we love you for listening. Yes, it's true. Chelsea, where do people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Redbubble, Patreon, as I just said. And our website is thosetwogirls.club if you want to send us a message, if you want us to say anything uh, on the podcast. And also, thank you so much to everyone who sent us a screenshot of you guys listening to last episode. That was so, so super cool. fun. Please do that again. We're so happy that you loved the story of Wojciech. That was a, an absolute hit. Um, yeah, so well done, Chelsea. Better. It really was. And this week, I don't know, maybe go learn something. Yeah, you know, keep it loose. Keep it tight. Say your prayers at night. Happy Christmas!